morning. Good morning. I saw that hot emoji face on the Dias slideshow, and I thought, me too. <laughs> me too. Today's going to be a high of 85. I'm happy to bring a forecast to your direction. If you leave these doors on, on your way out, and you take a left, and then another, you'll find yourself at a farmer's market just down the street. Who's been in this farmer's market, right? I think it's one of Denver's best farmer's markets. So if you're looking for an excuse to go linger somewhere after the service. But if you go halfway down the block, you'll run into a restaurant called The Bird. And it's delicious. It's breakfast. It's got a great brunch menu. And I, I've come to kind of go there more often over the last few years. And I've met this woman in there that we kind of have started a relationship, like a recognition with. And her name's Pilar. And when I go in, she kind of knows what I am going to order, which is nice. And so when we sit down, she kind of brings me kind of what I'm already prepared for, what I am anticipating. And that is right on that guy that orders probably the same thing when he goes out from place to place. But this morning, I was, I was greeted by a guest, like someone I'd never met before. I talked with him on the phone briefly. But we've never, like, had an interaction before. So I'm kind of introducing myself to strangers as they come through the door, like, what's your name? And that's not them, that's not them. And I meet him, and he sits down with me. And, well, and this is, he's an old Army vet, and he's wearing some, like, digital camouflage, uh, like an like a, like a Under Armour hoodie on. He's got a backwards black cap. And he's got these black wraparound glasses on that have mirror lenses. Have you ever talked to somebody with mirror lenses before? You're kind of like, what are we doing right now? With mirror lenses and these tattoo sleeves and this big beard. And he probably is twice my size. And he's kind of intimidating. That's true. I felt this way, at least. I felt this way. And Pilar knows that when I come in, I like to get a half order of, of a Benedict and... They make this incredible breakfast salad, which you may have never heard about before in your life, but it exists out there. And so she knows what I'm looking for. And then she takes his order, and he says, you know, I'll go with the chicken and waffles. And so she asks him, are you looking for a breakfast salad? Are you looking for hash browns? And he says, do I look like a loser? (laughs) Except he used much stronger language than that, okay? I look like a loser, I'm going with the hash browns. And then Pilar kind of looks at me like, whoo, like hot seat moment. And I went with the hash browns also. Like I changed my mind. I was like, bring me browns, bring me hash browns, bring me more than he's got, bring me more. So I changed my mind in the moment. Have you ever changed your mind on something in the moment? I change my mind on things in the moment quite... I could be in conversation with someone. This has happened. And I hear myself the same time they do. (laughs) And I don't know if I agree with it. (laughs) Right? I changed my mind after I said it. Like, that's how quickly I can change my mind about something. Have you ever done this? Have you ever changed your mind about something that you treat as fundamentally true? That's a little different. Something that you depend on or rely on to kind of live the day-to-day life. 
That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about those moments in life when something fundamental is going to change in the landscape of our life and how we adapt and how we participate within those changes. Today we're talking about that freedom. It's that freedom that, that Paul's talking about in Galatians 5 when he says it's for freedom's sake that Christ has come and set you free. It's for that. It's for freedom's sake that Christ has come and set you free. Stand firm then, he goes on, and do not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And the slavery we'll find, we'll kind of talk about today, is sometimes self-imposed. It's just these different systems that I've brought into the story and I've created to be a kind of boundary or scaffolding to participate in my life. And now these systems, they exist everywhere. They exist all around us. We all live in systems, right? We live in different political systems, different educational systems. Our family system might look different than others. It might look different than other family systems we're related to. That's true in my case. There's different systems, and they can, they're different around the world. Like, people are not going to agree on this stuff globally. But even in the States, people don't agree on all the systems that we operate within, in spite of being united. Surprise. We don't agree on all these systems that we operate in. And every system behaves. Every system operates with a preconceived idea of what is right, best, and good. And that's exactly appropriate. It's how we learn where the boundaries are when we go about life. And our faith system is no different. The faith system you grew up with, and perhaps you say, I didn't grow up with a faith system, that's a system. The faith system you practice today, whether you think of it this way, there's a system that's going on. There's a system that we are living within, that we believe, personally, is right, best, and good. And it's when we take those right, best, and good thoughts that we have about something, and we and we operationalize them in our life. I wish there were a different word, but that's kind of what we do. We operationalize them in our life, and we expect them to kind of generate what they always have, or perhaps even once did. I do this in my own, my journey, my stuff, my system. Really early on, I started journaling, which I think is a good practice. And then journaling kind of became something far more than just pen to paper. It kind of stole the romance out of it again. And I've done, I'm like a, I'm a repeat offender of these things in life. I've done this with every kind of spiritual practice I could pick up. I think, oh, there's something here. There's something alive. It's going on. And then I kind of just adulterate it. I kind of just like, I operationalize it in a way that it loses its beauty. And it loses kind of its purpose of why it exists. And so when we experience something for the first time, and we think there's life here, there's energy here, there's excitement here, 
there's kind of two polarizing responses, popularly. One response is, anything new can't be trusted. We know people like this. If it's new, it cannot be trusted. Let's give it a couple hundred years. Let's give it the test of time, and then we'll, like, consider it again. There's that camp of things. If it's new, it can't be trusted. It's not good. Then there's this other camp of things that believes if it's old, it's outdated. Do we know things like this? Do we know folks like this? Do we know people like this? Perhaps ourselves? Because I do this. I kind of oscillate between the two of these. If it's new, it can't be trusted. I'm like the worst. What am I the worst? I'm probably the worst of many things. Where should we start? There, the, when we consider, when we consider like um, technology, I have like a very low tech acumen. And so I remember when like Facebook showed up and it got exciting. I remember thinking, that's a fad. Which is clearly it's been a fad. Or Twitter or TikTok or these things. I'm always kind of like, that's nothing. Don't, which is why also I don't invest in kind of the tech industry. Because I don't know anything about it. And anytime new, something new comes up, I'm super suspicious. Like, I need Dia International to come and teach me, like, the basics of computer operation. I'm super suspicious of what's new. But I, but I also see this active on the other side of things, where we're critical of what's old. It's outdated. These things are old-fashioned. We say things like this. We, you, you can think of, like, the news cycle, how quickly. Like it repeat, like it goes through everything that's important. Whether it used to be a week, like publication or a day thing that you'd watch on television, or now something that you might open up on an app in the morning and you refresh in the moment. The old is outdated. News only what matters. It's like a whole philosophical thing, that system that's going on, belief that's going on. Not to mention the whole marketing side of our lives, like where we bump into that territory. I'm a pretty, I, I like to ride my bicycle, and every year, this is true, and every year, Specialized, Trek, Mosaic, Dogma, Villiers, they all come out with a new model, bike. That's faster, somehow. <laughs> I don't know, downhill. It's faster. Okay? It's been tested in like an aerodynamics wind tunnel or something, okay? and they tell you things like it's more laterally stiff or vertically compliant. I don't even know what those words mean, but I'm in. I'm kind of like, that sounds great, because the old season, what happened like 12 months ago, doesn't, doesn't matter anymore, and this is the tension we live in. We live in a world where we're constantly faced with needing to decide, is this new thing, can this new thing be trusted? Or is this old thing outdated? And that's what we see Christ being questioned about in this passage. I'll read as we begin. We read in verse 18, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples... 
and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not. Okay? Can you feel the question in the air? There's like an accusation being made. Who do you, I don't know what tone it is, but it's who do you think you are? Who are you compared to me, us, them, that you would not do what's culturally acceptable? That's what's being questioned. Perhaps even identity is being questioned in this, in this space. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Are you better than us? Are you better than me? A little background on fasting, and then we'll talk about John and the Pharisees. Apart from the Day of Atonement, which is the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, there are like two, there's two reasons in the Old Testament to fast. Okay? The first is to commit yourself, devote yourself to contemplation, to focus on things above, not on earthly things. And the other explanation is to express your mourning. Okay? And with inside those two guidelines, there's great flexibility in how you participate in that practice of fasting. But what we see about John and his disciples and the Pharisees and his disciples is that they kind of did something different to the freedom that exists in that space. And that's what gets questioned here. Now, what we know about the Pharisees is that they are a group of individuals, a sect of Judaism that's particularly popular in the kind of the religious and the political spheres of the day, of Jesus' time. And they are broadcasting, teaching. Bears, disciples, they're teaching them something that we could refer to as righteous reciprocity, if that helps. If it doesn't, release that. <laughs> but what they're teaching them, whether it's formally or informally, is if you do the things I tell you to, if you do these things over here, God's going to care more about you. It's going to work in your favor as you expect, as you foresee or understand favor being. And when, and when the Pharisees are communicating their principles around fasting, these are, these are traditions that they are creating. Because what we know about the Pharisees is that they are strict adherents. Zealous is how they're often considered. So this is a religious word for uptight, <laughs> angsty, like, is that allowed? Kind of, you get the picture. They're strict and zealous adherence to the Old Testament law and a whole bunch of traditions that they made up themselves. Well-intended, mind us, right? Well-intended. And it included fasting like two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. That way you could go to Taco Tuesday. Nothing would be disrupted. Mondays and Thursdays, each week, for a portion of the day, they would, they would principally fast. And so they took the freedom, the parameters of that freedom, the flexibility of fasting of the Old Testament for the intention of mourning, for the intention of contemplation, and they're putting different parameters and systems and structures around it to kind of give it a different definition. And then they're criticizing people that don't adhere to that thing. 
So that's what's going on with the Pharisees. And when it comes to John and his disciples, now this is John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. Okay? And he is, he's, a, he's an ascetic, which is simply he's given his life to releasing comforts, to self-denial. So he avoids creature comforts or common cultural comforts. We know of him eating locusts with honey. Think of that picture. Okay? I have him, in my mind, I have him dressed in like a wool blanket <laughs> with flies, probably. <laughs> right? he's, the, he's the friend that is ungroomed and you can smell him sometimes. Right? He's, that's who comes to mind when we think about John. Be the ascetic. And so he's well-intentioned. His, his intentions are noble. I want to give myself, because this is what ascetics do. They want to give all, of what, all their energy, attention, and effort to concentrating on God and the kingdom around them. Sounds good and noble. And is. And when, when, when Jesus is criticized by someone, that's the thing that they're talking about. When John and his disciples, and when the Pharisees and their disciples are fasting, why aren't you also fasting? Jesus answered them. How can the guests of the bridegroom, he's referring to himself as the bridegroom, fast while he's with them? They cannot. So long as they have with him, so long as they have him with him. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. And on that day, they will fast. And the statement he uses as the bridegroom will be taken from them is this veiled illusion Jesus is making to his death. You're not going to always have me with you. Like this. And what he's noting is the difference between mourning and celebration. Why aren't you guys fasting? Why are you guys feasting? Because I'm with him. Because he's here with me, with us. But it will be different. It may change again. And then he goes on and he shares, well, he talks about tailoring. And then he talks about wine keeping. And... When we think about parables, sometimes in our mind, this might be helpful, sometimes in our mind we think about these long stories, these long narratives, and that's true. They can be long in nature. Parables in the Semitic sense can also be these short wisdom statements, and that's more of what we see here today. These short statements that are loaded with metaphor and simile that is exactly meant for us to unpack and better understand. And he says in verse 21, no one sows a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear even worse. And the imagery of those, that patch and the and mending of a hole is intended to communicate that, with, that Christ is bringing something, Jesus is bringing something so new to the scene, it can't just be added to what exists. That's what, that's what the image is intending to imply. It can't just be added to what already exists. 
Something new has to occur. Or we risk the loss of both. And then he goes on. He talks about wineskins. This is where we'll linger for a sec. No one, he says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Like, none of us would do that. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Now, wineskins, since we're all so familiar, are like our goat and pig leathers that are used when you choose to pour in a new wine so it can ferment. And under fermentation, there's expansion. And so the wineskin must be flexible, adaptive. And when the wine is fermented, the wine skin becomes hard, scaly, kind of crusty. And what we're reading is that any old wineskin is not capable of containing, in a helpful way, new wine under this fermentation. The old wineskin is at risk, the new, wine, the new wine is at risk, and we're at risk of losing both. Now, I think about, when you think about kind of the flexibility of these wineskins, I, I think about, uh, well, I think about opening my freezer and handing my 15-month-old, like, a bag of frozen strawberries that I've rubber band closed, because that's safe and the rubber band bursts. That's what I'm thinking about. It's like it's lost its elasticity. It's become kind of unuseful and actually is detrimental at this point. It's no longer helpful and is actually causing a bigger issue than I had at the, than I had at the beginning. Now, in a metaphorical sense, what we're seeing in fermentation is that under this, ferment, this process of fermentation, there's an effervescence of wine that occurs. And in a metaphorical sense, that effervescence is the spirit's activity, which is fun and exciting to consider, which, which does beg some questions of us, which is largely where do we sense some of this effervescence? <laughs> Do we sense any fermentation? Is anything fermenting? <laughs> it does beg some questions for us to consider. And the meaning, now the meaning of that saying, new wine and new, in, in new wineskins, is simply that the presence of Jesus offers a, something, something so new that the previous structure or system that we were operating under in is no longer helpful. What Christ is bringing is so new that the old way, perhaps, of living and behaving and relating with him is no longer helpful. 
Yeah. This, is, this is the process of fermentation. Any home brewers? I tried this one time. It's just I got bad everything. Okay. <laughs> turns out there's an art to it. <laughs> yeah. In fermentation, a couple things are occurring that I think are critical to understanding the, the, that why new wineskins are important with new wine. And in, and in the process of fermentation, we're doing, a, we're doing a couple of things. We're increasing the nutritional value. This is interesting, I think. We're, we're increasing the nutritional value of that raw product. Okay? We are gaining greater nutrients, minerals, okay? greater friendly bacteria to, to ward off toxins. Enzymes that actually strengthen two things, digestion and our nervous system. Now stay with me. Relevance is like two minutes away. In a metaphorical sense, that new wine, the spirit, and its activity in our life is expansive. And it requires a flexibility within the system of our lives to allow it to continue to, to ferment. And this fermentation is in our benefit. It's in our, it's in our interest. It actually causes healthier digestion. Right? So then I face the world, whatever the world has to offer in the normal, ordinary, and everyday life, and it's raw, and I begin to digest it into helpful nutrients, sharpening our, 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 sharpening our, our awareness of where he already is, bursting forth all around us, strengthening our nervous system so we can sense things a little differently. This is kind of the metaphorical consequence of new wine and new wineskins. Are you with me? This. Now we might ask, because I, as I might sometimes in direction with folks, like what's, what, is, what are you feeling these days? What are you experiencing these days when, you, when you're in conversation with him? And we'll hear things that sound like fermentation, that appear like fermentation. So what does fermentation sound like or appear like? <laughs> it's statements or thoughts you might have that sound a little bit like, I'm losing my faith. Have you read a thought like that? And I'm lo- or, or how about this? This is a friendlier version. But my faith is really being challenged. You ever had that thought? My faith is being challenged. That's fermentation. Something's happening. Perhaps it is a critical place. And you might say something like, my f- I'm having a faith crisis. Have you ever heard a friend say this? Have you ever mentioned something like this? That is indicative of fermentation. And what, what I think this passage is helping us understand is that those moments that we have that thought is actually a movement from, one, from an old way into a new way, from an old wineskin into a new wineskin, from an old way of living into a new way of living. And it's actually not a criticism of our journey. It's actually a compliment 
a, a, a complementation of our journey. It's actually great, it's in great service to our journey. Things are changing, and I don't exactly know where this goes next. I don't exactly know what this might mean for the landscape of my life. Now there's a, if you were to think about this, and maybe answer it this in your head, like if there was a pathway into new wineskins, if there was a pathway into communion with God, if God exists, like if, if there's a destination and it's like the connection, the union, more, more communion with him, Think for a moment, what, what is that pathway to him paved in? What word, just think of what comes to mind. And this isn't, it's not pass, fail. Just what, what comes to mind. We might think of things like humility. You know, the pathway to God is paved in humility. That sounds great. Okay. You know, it's paved in obedience. Okay. Okay. Perhaps. And what I might suggest is that the pathway may include that, it may not, but it includes consent, which is really permission for God to do what he's doing already in our life. It includes our permission to give him the freedom to guide us where we're going. Now, our consent, our consent is not based or grounded or driven by my intentionality for my life. I've got, because I've got one. <laughs> It's up and to the right, <laughs> right? It's not driven by my intentionality for life. It's driven by God's intentionality for my life. And any time we find that our intentionality is driving life, we could, we could treat that as the old wineskin. That's just, that belongs to the old way. That's an older thing. Totally appropriate for its time and no longer beneficial to where I'm going. And so we ask ourselves, what does it look like to consent with the work that the Spirit is already up to in and within us? Thomas Merton talks about it this way, this crossroads, this kind of space in the journey where we're thinking, hey, what, something's been lost and we can't exactly predict what's next. And he says, you do not need to know precisely what's happening, you know, few, or exactly where it is all going. What you need is to recognize the possibilities and challenge offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. He's talking about the consent, the cooperation with what God is already doing in and around us in life. 
A couple questions that we might take out of here. They might, you might journal these things later. You might ask your friends about these things over lunch. Or like your son or daughter. That'd be kind of fun. But it, it could, it could, we could ask ourselves, what, what in my faith system appears intolerant of flexibility? And that's not to be critical. That's not to do self-inventory and then find what's wrong. That's not the purpose of this thing, that exercise. But what in my faith system is intolerant of flexibility? How long of a list is that? Where does that list end? What things am I basing my everyday life in? And then a second question. What do you sense in your faith is expanding? Fermenting. What do you sense is growing that requires different, a new flexibility? to consent to and cooperate with. When we, when we come into a place where we consider the old way and the new way, it's a safe place to be. It's, an, it's a good place to be. We're not trying to get out of those moments. We're trying to engage them really well. And when we engage them well, we simply ask for willingness. Sometimes we're not willing. I'm not. I'm kind of like, I want that first. I need a willingness to care about it first. (laughs) We ask for a willingness to yield whatever we think is right, best, good for an increase of love, trust, and freedom in Jesus Christ. Trusting that that's God's intention for our lives. An increase of his love, an increase of trust, an increase of freedom. That's the gospel, freedom. If we were to oversimplify the story, gospel message, get out of bondage. (laughs) Freedom. It's for freedom's sake that Christ has come and set us free. A willingness to yield what I think is right, best, and good for an increase of his love, trust, freedom in Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, we love you and we trust you. And we ask that you, in your great goodness and in your great kindness, um, give us a willingness to yield ways that we've come to think are right, best, and good that belong to an old skin in favor of an increase of love and trust and freedom in you amongst a new skin. May you meet us in the circumstances of our normal, ordinary, and everyday life. And may you unveil your fondness and appreciation for who we are at every opportunity we get. 
It's in your holy and precious, precious name we pray. Amen.